How we doing? Good? All right, I'm just going to warn you here in Canton and Jasper, I'm going to need you to rejoice today and celebrate, so it's going to be better than that. All right, you don't have to do it again now. I'm just, it's just a forewarning, all right, a little bit of foreshadowing. It's a literary technique, all right, to tell you about what's coming. So I'm going to need you to celebrate with me because today we're wrapping up this series called Works of Art and talking about, we've been talking about over the last several weeks, how God discovered, developed, and deployed David as an artist king. He chose to be the greatest king of Israel, a worshiper, an artist whose heart just sought after God. The Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. And so we've been talking about that as a church, how we want to be the type of church like a Samuel who appoints or anoints those whom God has appointed to lead us out. And today we're going to look several generations later after David to talk about how he set the tone for the entire people of God. And while it's important for you and I as believers, as worshipers of God, to have people like the artists within our church who are leading us to worship God. All right, so if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. All right, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. That's in the Old Testament, several books ahead of 1 Samuel, where we've been over the last several weeks. And so if you remember where 1 Samuel was, just take a right, and you'll get to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. To do kind of a background, though, I'm going to have to start earlier into 1 Chronicles chapter 15 to kind of set the tone for it, all right? But remember, this whole point of what we're doing as far as these objectives of artist development are talking about how we want to discover and develop and deploy artists. Next weekend, as you heard on Church News, we're starting a new series called I See in You, and we're going to talk about how we want to discover, develop, and deploy leaders within our church to live on mission in the kingdom of God. And so that's why we're doing a whole series on that objective. And, and just kind of a little sidebar here, if you are a, a leader here, if you're a team member, a team leader, or a coach, if you're a, a group leader or a group coach, we are doing a, a one-day conference next Saturday, October 6th, just in the morning, having one of our consultants who's a leadership development guru, who's Canadian, uh, it just seems like you know he's pretty smart, of course, we like the way he talks, he says A a lot, and so he's going to be here next Saturday, hanging with us, and so all of you that are team members, team leaders, if you're on a team or you're leading a group, you're invited, you should have gotten an email to that. If you're not on a team, you're like, I want to be invited to that, well, we've got to join a team class that's happening this service and next service, all right? So you can jump in on that. Jasper, you can ask about how to join a team. And so we're going to help all of our leaders, everybody in our church that serves to understand where we're headed as far as leadership development. But for the rest of you, we'll talk about it over the next several weeks in our new series, I See in You. Because again, the goal is to discover, develop, and deploy artists and leaders within our church for the mission of God. And what you're going to see today is this story about when an artist who is a leader, stands up, changes the culture of the people of God, how it has effects for generations to come, all right? Generations to come. That's what we're going to see. And so as always, before we jump into our text, let's pray. I'm going to ask God to bless our time together to help us, and then we'll jump in, all right? Let's pray. Father, we just want to pause for a second. We want to acknowledge our need, our complete and utter dependence upon you. God, we know that without you, without your spirit, opening our eyes to see the truth that is in your word, we will not be transformed. God, today we don't want just information. We want transformation. We are over-informed and under-changed, God. And so help us today. 
If there are people here that don't know you, would you save them? Would you open their eyes to see the truth? And those who have trusted you, would you remind them today about who you are and how we fight? And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right? Now, again, we're going to get to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, so hold your place there. But I'm going to back up to 1 Chronicles 15 because i got to do some groundwork for you. All right? And in honor of the late, great Burt Reynolds who passed away this month, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. All right? So let's put the hammer down, eastbound and down. Here we go. 1 Chronicles 15. First Chron- if you don't know anything about that, ask your mama. All right? 1 Chronicles 15, verse 1 and 2. It's here on the screen. You don't have to turn there, though. It says this. David built houses for himself in the city of David. And he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said that no one but the Levites, capital L, it was a a tribe of the people of God who were descendants of Aaron, who were set apart to be priests, may carry the ark of God. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. Now, the word minister means to serve. We just use that today. In fact, other countries in the world will call them, their people in government, ministers. If you ever wondered about that, it's because the concept is those who are in leadership are there to serve. And so a minister is someone who's there to serve. And every single one of us, if you're in Christ, you're a minister. God has called and appointed and chosen you to serve. And so what you see and what you're going to see in the Old Testament is David, King David, now he is king. He was appointed or anointed king when he was a teenager. He had to wait 15 years until God took care of Saul. Now he's king, and when he becomes king, he is going to institute worship amongst the people of God. He so desperately wanted to build a temple, but God didn't allow him to do that. He allowed his son Solomon to build it, but David bought the land. And what you see is David institutes the entire corporate worship practice for the Old Testament. He's the one that institutes it all. This is about 400 years after they've come out of Egypt. And they were there in the promised land, but they were just in the time of judges, about 400 years. Now King uh, David is king, and he's going to set up, hey, here's how I want, because this is what God wants, because that's what he said. God chose this, worship to be done. So the entire book, almost, of 1 Chronicles is chronicling how David set all this up how he finally became king, and then the first thing that he does is he sets up God back at the center of Israel, and he institutes the worship practices. And he reminds everybody, hey, it's the Levites, the priests, those who are chosen by God to go out, carry the ark, and minister to the Lord before him, before the ark. So that all represented the presence of God. And so that's what David is setting up. Now, First, again, just kind of cursory things here. First Chronicles 15, chapter, uh, verse 16 and 22. Again, here on the screen. David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play what? Now, again, that's one of those words that you can't say quietly. I told you I'm going to need you. All right, come on, Jasper. I know you're good at this. All right. Who should play what? A little bit better. A little bit better. All right. Still a little churchy. Still a little churchy. I ain't gonna lie. You scream louder than that at George game. All right, come on now. <laughs> Who should play what? Loudly. Oh, oh, now I'm talking. We're gonna have church up in here. All right. Who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of what? Joy. There you go. Now you can't say that one without a smile. 
So let's go loudly and with a smile. Raise sounds of joy. Thank you. All right. Now, verse 22, Shenaniah, which I think was a country singer, led leader of the Levites in music should direct the music for he understood it. Now, okay, remember what's going on here. David is king. He's setting up the entire temple worship and he's instructing them on what to do. So he institutes the Levites again back to carry the ark to minister. And then he says, you guys choose some who are singers. And those singers are going to play loudly on some cymbals. A little side, again, this is all background for, for 2 Chronicles 20, all right? Apparently, it is biblical to play loudly in the presence of God. <laughs> Apparently. Apparently. I mean, I, I don't know about you, I'm just, I'm just trying to be Biblical. Now, I don't know your church tradition. If revolution is your entire church tradition, bless you. <laughs> bless you in Jesus' name. Lindsay and I talk all the time how we are so excited that this is what our kids grow up with. Now, spattering of applause. Look at golf clap. All right, so I don't know your church tradition. But again, remember decades ago, we had these things called worship wars, and people were talking about, well, I just like the old-timey stuff. Now, I'm not calling you out, but all I'm saying is you didn't go back old-timey enough. You just went back to the 1600s, right? Protestant Reformation. We got all the different Protestant denominations we got. I'm saying go back even B.C., before Christ, about 1,000 years before, because apparently the people of God like to bang on some cymbals, like to play some harps up in here, some lyres. Some organs. Amen on some organs? Man, I like some organs. I ain't gonna lie. You wanna know why we don't have a big pipe organ in here? One reason. Too expensive. <laughs> it's literally a couple hundred thousand dollars. Now, Tim, one of our worship leaders, and I was just kind of making fun of him, he wants a guitar up in here, like a guitar with a keyboard. I don't know about that. I'm still praying about it, all right? <laughs> if the dude's got long hair, tattooed eyebrows, I, mean, I don't know, all right? But, but here's my point. It doesn't matter the instrument. It doesn't matter if it's a piano. It doesn't matter if it's an organ. If it's an organ, someone bang those keys. And let's have some sound pumped out. So again, just a little side note. If you come in here, you're like, it's too loud. It's trying to be biblical. You can sit a little further back. We've got earplugs out there too. Now, I'm not saying we don't have preferences. I'm not saying it can't be too loud. There have been times I've texted Brian, I'm like, bro, that's a little loud, man. You know. But, but that's not the point. The point is not the decibel level. The point is the people of God should be the loudest singers, the loudest worshipers. Why? Because we are to raise sounds of what? Joy. Joy. Now, just so that you know what joy is, it means to express sounds of great happiness and pleasure. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody have more reason to sound, to express sounds of great happiness and pleasure than Christians? Why? Because David in Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is the fullness of what? 
joy and pleasures forevermore. So the problem with the church today is not that our music is too loud. The problem with the church today is we ain't enjoying him enough. We got to get our joy on. I believe, you know, all my pastor friends and, you know, we work with a lot of organizations and, and, and the buzzword a few, probably about a decade ago was like the, the young people are looking for authenticity. And I believe that. Yes. But you know what I think people are looking for more than authenticity? Joy. And what if they saw, check what I do here, authentic joy, authentic joy. I honestly believe this. I do not think people are on a truth quest. I don't think you're on a truth quest. You're on a joy quest. Now, the great thing is that joy is found in the truth. But I don't believe people who don't believe in God are on this epic truth quest. They're on a joy quest. They just don't think that joy can be found in God. But here's the thing, only in God are there pleasures forevermore. They don't ever end. So this is what I love about when you come to Jesus, heaven started for you. Heaven started for you the moment God opened your eyes and you said yes to Jesus. So joy should have started there. And so all I'm saying is the people of God, we better get the fact that our country, our world, our God is offering joy. We're all on a joy quest. And maybe one of the reasons why people don't come to Jesus, they don't come to church, is because they don't see us having any. So I'm going to tell you straight up, I did this last service, I'm going to do this service. And I did not preempt our staff. This is one of those moments, it's just, you know, it's audible, I'm throwing everybody off and that's okay. I don't have to ask permission. But every single one of you in Canton and Jasper have my permission to check our staff's joy meter. If you see our staff not exhibiting joy, you can ask them a question. Hey, where's your joy, man? Now, listen, I'm not saying we can't have bad days. I'm not saying we can't have bad days. We'll get into that in just a second. I'm not saying we can't be depressed. I'm not saying we can't struggle with anxiety. What I'm saying, though, is this. If you got more days without joy than more days with, there's a problem, Houston. And if there's a consistent pattern of your face not being reminded of your spirit, then we got a problem. And I'm telling you, if our staff has that problem, we got a problem. That is, speaking of team member and leadership, we'll talk about this next week. That is one of the core components that we're looking for in a team member. You're like, I don't know everything about there is to know about Jesus. Let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus? Yes. Do you got joy? Yes. Sign up and join a team. That's right. So if we're going to ask our team members to have a joyful attitude, why would we not ask our staff to have a joyful attitude? So staff, we're all on notice. And just in case you forgot, I'm a staff member too. So you can buy, Jason, where's your joy, man? We want to be a church that authentically raises loud sounds of joy. Just, just to show you the point of this, reference myself here, verse 29, look at this. First Chronicles 15, 29. And as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michal, his, his wife, because he killed Goliath, Saul gave it to her, uh, gave him, or her to him, whatever, the daughter of Saul... <laughs> 
looked out the window. Now look at this. And saw King David. What's that next word there? Apparently bro wasn't Baptist. All right. And now, now hear me. I went to a Baptist church, went to Southern Baptist seminary. I love Southern Baptists. We're part of Southern Baptists. All right. That's my people. You can call that your own family. But you know what I heard? I didn't grow up in church, but once I started going to church, I heard we don't, we don't dance. We don't dance. Now listen, I ain't talking about up in the club. I'm talking about up in church. <laughs> David, the king, was dancing and celebrating, and she despised him in her heart. This is what's crazy. You start dancing and celebrating your Jesus, those who don't know Jesus will look like, what is wrong with you? Now, again, I'm trying to be helpful here. Let me give you the definition of dance. Here it is. To skip. All right. To leap. Camera guys, follow me. To move. Now listen to this. Up, down, and sideways. Let me read that again. To skip, to leap, or move up and down or sideways. That's what the king was doing. He was skipping. He was leaping. He was moving up, down, and sideways. You want to know why? Because the presence of his God was coming through. Listen, man, when you get with the people of God and you see the presence of God and your leg don't start forest gumping, something's wrong. You know what I'm saying? This is one of those sermons like people are going to take snippets of it and post it online. It's going to go viral. It's all right, though. I'm tired of us not having joy. The king danced. Last weekend, we changed up the service order. And it was awesome. If you missed it, man, should miss church. You can come more than one a week, once a month. All right? I'll just say it. It was a great service. Sermon was at the beginning. Jasper, sorry, we had a little technical difficulties at 945. Sermon was at the beginning. Shorter sermon. Why? If I'm going to give up some time, it's going to be for one reason. And it ain't for announcements. It's for some dancing to happen. So we flipped it. We did five worship songs. Five. We don't want to do three. At the 945 and 1115 here in Canton, I was sitting right down here on the front, on the corner chair. Why? Because I needed some space. I was out in the aisle. And not because I had to go to the bathroom. Because they were singing about my Jesus. And I don't know if you, it ain't about me. I'm just saying, I had to get down. I was sweating. You're like, well, you sweat every week. When, yeah, but I wasn't preaching. I was singing. What am I saying? We got more reason for joy than anybody else. So when we come together in the people of God, we got to sing and dance. Why? Here's why. This is why this is so important. And again, this is the background. I got to hurry. When you come in here, I don't know what your week was like. 
But remember a few weeks ago, we talked about spirit, soul, and body. When you're saved, you're, you get a new spirit. Then your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Then your body. So you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. I would almost bet almost every weekend when you come in here, your soul is distressed. Mind, will, and emotions down. You want to know the best way to do that? To counteract that? It's for your body to start moving. So here's what worship is. Your body is telling your soul to rejoice again. Think about it. The root word of the word emotion is what? Motion. You're down emotionally. Get some motion going. Get some, get some leg going. Get some arm going. Get some celebrating going. Take a walk. Look at the mountains and remind yourself that your God made those. Get some motion going. So here's the point of worship. People coming together, the people of God, our bodies are reminding us what our spirit knows to be true so that our soul will be comforted. David got down. So here's the deal. When you come into service, again, I'm not saying you can't have a bad day. We're just saying, I ain't gonna cut it. Coming into service, People are like, well, that's just what men do. You ever seen men in a football game? <laughs> Don't tell me that's what men do. Used to, you came in like this. Y'all like, y'all took coffee away. No, we didn't. We just moved it. Join a team. We got coffee every Sunday. Just in the team member area. <laughs> I like seven claps on that one. All right, we got to go. First Chronicles 16.4. First Chronicles 16.4. Last one. All set up to the sermon. All right. Verse four. Then he, David, appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke. I love that word. To thank and to praise the Lord. So remember, this is David setting up how the people of God are going to worship God. So he set up these Levites, the worship leaders, to sing, to invoke. You want to know what the word invoke means? The word invoke means to assert truth about someone, applying, implying that this information has been known before. You want to know the job of our worship leaders every Sunday is to come in here or whatever day the service is and to invoke you, to remind you, to bring back to your mind the information about who your God is and to lead you in thanking him and to lead you in praising him. That is their job. That's why I love all the artists in our church, from production to creative to worship, all there to invoke you, to call down the name of the Lord. So that's the pattern that David set up, all right? Second Chronicles chapter 20. That's the pattern. Now we're going to see how the principle worked itself out. Second Chronicles chapter 20, starting in verse 2, says, Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hezanon Tamar, that is in Engedi. Now, here's the thing you need to know. Jehoshaphat is now the king, and he is the great, great, great grandson of David. All right? So he is in the line of David. 
He's king. Second Chronicles chapter 17, verse 3 and 4 says that God blessed Jehoshaphat because he walked in the ways of his father, David. So here's Jehoshaphat, current king, and an army is coming against him. Look at verse 3 and 4. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Don't miss this. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now, this is why I told you earlier. When I talk about joy, don't think that I'm talking about like this artificial. Christians have got to put on this artificial smile. You can have joy in Jesus and be afraid. They're not mutually exclusive. You can have joy in Jesus and struggle with anxiety. You can have joy in Jesus and have doubts. The question is not, do you have fear? Do you have anxiety? Do you have doubts? The question is, where do you go to when you have them? Who do you go to when you have them? And what we see is Jehoshaphat had fear and he set his face to seek the Lord. Now don't miss this. Capitals in Jerusalem. They're coming up from the south. Best we know from ge geography. And he looks out and there's a great multitude coming. Don't miss this. So Jehoshaphat's, ooh, that's a big army. Ooh, you see them spears? Dang, bro, that, that sucker's like nine foot tall. I, I, I mean, it's all conjecture. I'm just saying, like, all we know is he's afraid. But you don't want to know what he does? This is what I'm telling you. He goes like this. Do you see what I did there? Let me show you again. Slower. He set his face. You want to know what the word set means? It means to fix conclusively or authoritatively. Here's what I'm saying to you. You can have joy in Jesus and you can still be afraid. But when you are afraid, fix your face. And I don't mean just fix your face like this. I mean fix your face like this. You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. That's what Jehoshaphat did. Now, who taught him that? His great-great-great-grandfather, David. He fixed his face, and he proclaimed a fast. He fixed his face, and he fasted. You want to know what you need to do when you're facing an enemy that's greater than you? You need to fix your face, and you need to fast. Why fast? Because fasting reminds you to fix your face, not feed your face. You want to know why you struggle with praying? It's the same reason why I struggle with praying, because you're too busy trying to stuff your face. It's amazing. The moment I start fasting and every time I get hungry, it reminds me to pray. I become a pretty good prayer. This is why as a church, we have now started instituting a fast every year. I'm warning you now. It's coming in January. 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're doing it again. You're like, dang it, I thought we were just doing that last year. No, we're doing it next year. You want to know why? Because we need God in 2019. That's right. 
So we're going to fix our face and we're going to fast. That's what King Jehoshaphat did. Now it goes on. Look at this. <laughs> I got to cut out some of these verses. Verse five, and Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord. Verse six, all I got on this one and said, I cut out a lot there. Verse nine, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, the judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. Verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. Now listen to this line. It's my new favorite line in the whole Bible. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Come on, somebody. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. You know how many times in my life I was saying that, not even realizing that I was quoting the Bible? God, I don't know what to do. But I know you. I know you know what to do. Church, what a great line. And you need to be reminded of that every Sunday. Every weekend, you need to come together with the people of God and say, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. That should be the next song we write as a church. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. Let's just sing it, repeat it 20 times. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. See, I'm not a singer. I'm just saying. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. What a great line. Now, here's the coolest part of the story. Verse 14. And the spirit, capital S, of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, a Levite. Remember who the Levites were? Priests and the worship leaders. A Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. You want to know what the most often repeated command throughout the entire Bible is? Do not be afraid. Not pray, not read your Bible, not fast. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And why is it the most repeated command? Because almost always right after it comes something about what God's going to do. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. Why? For the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. The battle ain't yours. It's his. Now, don't miss this. The king, Jehoshaphat, says, and he said this in front of all of his people. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. See, we're taught today as leaders, you can never show weakness. But Paul says, when you're weak, then you're strong. So he stands before hundreds of thousands of people. I don't know what to do. I'm king, but my eyes are on you. Wouldn't you just know it? The spirit of the Lord came upon a worship leader. And the worship leader says back, to all the people and to the king, you don't need to fight this. All you need to do, stand firm. This is what he says. Look, stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. See, church, here's what we need to be reminded. Christians don't fight like this. Christians fight like this. I don't know if you've ever been in a fight in high school, but this is the worst way to fight. Anybody worth their salt on the street 
knows you clench those fists and you can put something in that fist to make it stronger. You want to know what's one of the biggest problems in the church today? A bunch of Christians walking around like this. You want to know why we got divisions in the church today? A bunch of Christians looking who's swinging. Instead of a bunch of Christians just worshiping God. Because when glory go, when, when worship goes up, unity comes down. And here's all I'm saying to you. It's time for us to delight in God. This morning, it's almost like there's a God. This morning, I forgot to read this earlier. I was reading in uh, John Piper's devotional called Solid Joys. And wouldn't you know, this is the devotional today about delighting in God. Jonathan Edwards, listen to this quote. God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by it being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. He that testifies his idea of God's glory doesn't glorify God so much as he that testifies also his approbation, which means approval of it and his delight in it. What is John Edwards saying? Exactly what John Piper's been saying. God is the most glorified in you when you are the most satisfied in him. God is the most glorified in you when you delight in him the most. You want to know why God brings those armies that are bigger than you? To force your hands open. To worship and delight in him. To remind you, you can't do this. This is why the people of God fight like this with open hands on bended knee and say, God, that is a big battle. That is a big army. That is a big thing. But I believe you're bigger. I believe you're greater. And we need artists in our church every week that are reminding us that our God is greater. And we don't know what to do. We're looking to him. And so this worship leader stands up. And it inspires the king. Look at verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Verse 19. And the Levites, the worship leaders, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very what? Loud. <laughs> you got it, baby. <laughs> Loud voice. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. Now listen to verse 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went. What's that next word there? Before. before. As they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, I don't know about you, and I've never been in the military. I came close to signing up in college, but I just couldn't sign my life over. Thank you for those of you that did. But I would guess that this is about the worst military strategy you could ever think of. You're going to send out your singers first? Because I don't know if you know this about singers. They sing... And they sing with instruments, not weapons. They got cymbals. They ain't got spears. And second, the moment they start making a bunch of racket, the enemy's going to know right where we are. Uh, Jehoshaphat is, I don't know if it's very good, man. We should hide, not make a peep. <laughs> 
And when they come, let's pounce. Joseph has to know. I ain't got to fight this. I'm sending the worship leaders first. You want to know why in a service, more often than not, the worship leaders, the artists go first. They're the first to show up, first to lead out in a service. Because it's reminding you how we fight. Just imagine this. The other armies, like, that dude's holding a symbol. Is that a guitar? <laughs> That's like I was rolling out an organ. You don't know why? Because maybe it's the best battle strategy to remind your enemy who your God is. Maybe the best battle strategy is to sing louder than their marching, to sing louder than their taunting. Again, why sing loud? Because your enemies sing loud. Your enemies talk loud. The world talks loud. I mean, you can't go anywhere today without being bombarded by the messages of the world. And how are you going to fight back? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. Or you need to throw those hands up and scream at the top of your lungs. He sent the artist first. Look at verse 22. And when, oh, if I had another hour, and when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush. Who said it? Who? The Lord. And when did he set it? When they began to sing and pray. When they began to sing and pray, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. I was reading another story about another king in another battle in the Old Testament today. I can't remember where it was, or I would tell you. But they looked out, and the other army had chariots. You know what a chariot is, right? It's got wheels. They were looking out like, we ain't got wheels. We can't move that fast. So they sang and prayed. You want to know what God did? He made it rain. Like legit made it water come out of the sky. Because when water mixes with dirt, what does it turn into? You ever try to pull a chariot through a mud? Like that red clay Georgia mud? You're like, that's done. I might as well just set it on fire. I ain't coming out. They came against God with some chariots, and God came against him with some mud. You think God needs chariots? You think God needs armies? You think God needs anything but a heart full of faith? When you sing in praise, when you glorify God, when you delight in God, the power of God comes down. You're like, I know, Pastor, I did that, but they still died. But here's my point. This is why you need this more than ever. Because if they were in Christ, they're not dead. And you need the hope of knowing that. 
my gosh, as a parent, and if my kid dies and they're in Christ, I need to know that death didn't win. Don't I need to know that? And I need some worship leaders to stand on the stage and remind me of that. The battle ain't mine, it's his. And death doesn't get the final say. This is why Jesus, I love it, when Jesus was going to be killed in Matthew 26, Judah comes in and kisses him, and then they pounce on Jesus. And what does Peter do? He pulls out his sword. Doesn't say it's Peter later, we learn. <laughs> Cuts off the dude's ear. And we don't know this, but the passion cry, you don't even look at Jesus like, for real, Peter? Here's your ear, bro. Sorry about that. And what does Jesus say? You fight with the sword, you're going to die with the sword. I was reading that just a second ago. You know what's crazy? The word sword. Take off the S and what's left? Word. You're going to fight with the sword or you're going to fight with the word? You gonna fight with the spirit, or are you gonna fight with the word of God? Jesus says, "This has to happen for the word to be fulfilled, for Scripture to be fulfilled." Trust me, Peter. It's better that I die, because if I die, I'll come back to life and show you that I put the entire universe on display to show them they can't hold me down, and that's your God. So here's what I'm saying. When we come together on a weekend, you better come ready to throw your hands up and remind your soul that this isn't all there is. There is a God and he is in charge and he is in control. And if we sing and praise him, he will act. Will he act in how we think? Probably not. But can we trust him? Yes and amen. Because if he is for us, who can be against us? Jesus says, you can kill my body. Who cares? I'll raise it again. You know what, he, this is, you know what he's told to Peter? After Peter cut off the ear, you know what he told him? Oh, this is why I love Jesus. He's like, Peter, you don't think that I can't ask my father to send down 12 legions of angels? You know how many is in a legion? 6,000. He goes, bro, you don't think I can't call down 72,000 angels? And you're going to come with a sword and cut my ear off? We got a bunch of Christians walking around with no ear, wounded, because another Christian swung a sword at them. Because they were fighting like this, thinking that their battle is with the other Christian. Wake up, church. Our fight is not with flesh and blood. It's against the principalities in the darkness of the air. And the good news is, is we win. So if we win, fight like this. Come ready next week to raise your hands. In fact, I did this at the end of last service. Everybody do this. Raise your hands. Raise them. Come on, Jasper. Raise them. Don't, don't. 
Papa, quick smell steps. This is how you fight, man. This is how you fight. And you need to know today that your God is bigger than cancer. Your God is bigger than divorce. Your God is bigger than death. Your God is bigger than any enemy coming against you. Let's pray. Father, we lift our hands because lifting our hands reminds us to lift our head, to fix our eyes, to set our face. There's some big battles we're fighting. I never had any enemies, God, until I got into leadership. We're about to go into a whole series about leadership. And what you want to do to discover, develop, and deploy people. And the moment we start raising up artists and leaders, we're going to have enemies. But remind us, God, that we don't fight with closed, clenched fists. We fight with open hands, singing shouts of praise. So maybe we become a praising church. Thank you for what you've already been doing. And God, I pray that we would set our face on your face. We would seek you, we'd fix our eyes and delight in you, knowing that pleasures are forevermore ours. What could this world offer us that's better than you? Oh God, I pray right now for anybody listening or watching who's never trusted you. They are sacrificing so much joy. They're on a joy quest. And they just thought another girlfriend or another boyfriend or another job or another hit or whatever it was would do it for them, but it won't. Only Jesus will. So God, I pray right now you'd save them. You'd save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted Jesus, you don't have joy. The Bible says that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of God. And the, the root of that fruit is Jesus. So if you want that fruit, you need the root. You need the branch. You need the vine. So if you've never trusted in Jesus, I'm going to lead you in a prayer very simply. And you can pray with me, not out loud. If you want to trust Jesus, it goes like this. Say, Father... Thank you for opening my eyes. I trust in Jesus to save me. In faith, I ask you to forgive me. I give you my life. Save me. Nobody looking around or talking again as we close. If you trusted in Jesus with me. Very simply, what we want you to do, and I think this is very fitting given the sermon we just said, is lift your hand. Lifting your hands is the sign of surrender. So just lift your hand if you just trusted him. We got some men and women gonna walk around of our prayer team, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put it down. And then those of us in the house that we've trusted Jesus and you just needed to be reminded today Set your face. Fix it. And you might say the same prayer that Jehoshaphat said 
We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so let that be your prayer today. If you want to lift your hands again, lift your hands. If you want to hit your knees, hit your knees. You want to come down front, come down front. I know we need to go, but don't miss this moment. Our prayer team in just a second after we're done will be out in the auditorium to pray for you. If you need prayer, just sit there right where you are. They'll come pray for you. But let us be reminded today, this is how we fight our battles. There's a song we've been singing over the last couple months called, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. And if you've been here, you're like, that's the the only lines of the song. That's the only lines you need. We've been singing it, singing it, singing it for this day to remind you. It's how you fight your battles. Hands raised, face fixed. It may look like you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by him. Father, would you remind us of that? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Thank you for the stories of the Bible to give faith to our fears. Allows us to punch fear in the face, not with a fist, but with a word. We don't want to swing swords, God. We want to say words and not negative tearing down words, but of uplifting, joy-filled, hope-filled words because we're in the fight of our life and we need you. We need you to go before us, to stay behind us, to protect our sides. We can't see where they're coming from, but we trust you. And so we say, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In Jesus' name, amen.